Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of RevDive. I'm here today with Claire Ernst, and we're going to be doing Spill with the Hill with Claire. Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Yes, we're so glad to have you. Now, you have, you know, a long history of, you know, advocacy and direction when it comes to healthcare legislation. Can you just give our viewers a little snippet of what your, you know, background has been? Yeah, sure. So my background, my background really began a long time ago because I was raised by uh, psychologists who actually own their own practice. So it's funny that now I guess I represent um, physician practices because I grew up (laughs) kind of, you know, always in the periphery of that. So Uh, At MGMA, I am the director of government affairs. And so I always give my literally caveat of these are all my opinions, not MGMA's opinions. Um, Although I will talk about some of our advocacy, I'm sure, as it comes up. Um, But yeah, I do a lot of regulatory work, a lot of legislative work, a lot of just fun stuff. I was just telling Kim before this uh, that I thought you know, I was hoping it would be kind of a slower August, August <laughs> recess, but it's not turning out to be that way. So I'm just, I have a, we have a lot to talk about, I guess, because it's not slow. I, I mean, just with a busy August, you know, we, we did get some, we did get an update on the proposed 2020 fee schedule. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? I mean, I've read, I've read it, but oh my gosh, just like, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Did you read it like a nice glass of red wine and just yes. uh, wind? Yeah, yeah. No, and popcorn. Yeah, exactly. So yes, the 2020-2022 proposed rule came out uh, in July. And so me and our government affairs team spent, you know, a couple of weeks going through almost, you know, 2000 or so pages of all the proposals. Uh, A couple of things that jump out to me that I think are of note, Uh, one, the conversion factor being 3.75% lower than what (laughs) it gives like. No. Yeah, it's, uh, it's lower, but that also wasn't a surprise because uh, last year, Congress had allocated $3 billion to the Medicare physician fee schedule to mitigate the cuts that we uh, were, were anticipating, and they delayed the complexity add-on code uh, for three years, which added a few percent back in. So that's delayed for another two years. So that's why it looks like 3.75% lower for next year, not a larger uh, sum. So Uh, We will have to go to Congress to ask for more money, uh, which I'm sure they'll love. Uh, You know, there is this option potentially of Medicare just waiving budget neutrality. Um, It's... I, th- I think that, you know, our tactic, it's kind of a larger tactic of many societies. Uh, we, there was a letter that we signed on to that asked Congress to maintain that 3.75% for the next two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we will see when they get back, if we can get that going. But I think along those lines as well, there are some other <laughs> house financial housekeeping issues, uh, <laughs> such as the statutory pay go uh, situation 
situation that they, you know, just for those who don't know, when the American Rescue Plan was passed, it was a large ticket item. And so, you know, basically, Congress can waive essentially the scorecard, just keeping track of all how expensive everything is. Uh, and the problem, though, is that you can't actually waive it for anything that goes through reconciliation. And this went through reconciliation. So we had to wait for somebody, somebody. We had to wait for Congress to to waive it in, you know, in uh, the next any sort of next round of legislation. But because the American Rescue Plan was so uh, partisan, you know, they weren't, I, <laughs> there was, they didn't jump to waive anything. So we also need that to happen um, before the end of the year to prevent yeah. 4% for PAYGO. And then we have 2% uh, for the Medicare sequester that's been in effect for like almost 10 years now, but it has been waived since last May uh, when the CARES Act uh, put a moratorium on it. So, right. yeah. Lots of interesting developments with the fee schedule. When, what advice would, do you have for practice executives in terms of, you know, getting prepared for these potential changes? Yeah, so I mean, I'll put my plug in for MGMA because like, you know, we we read this stuff so you don't have to read all of it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think like a couple of things to pay attention to and just be on the lookout for. So anyone who does a lot of, uh, you know, like diagnostic imaging, who was concerned about the appropriate use criteria program, that's a program that was passed in PAMA in 2014. Uh, this program would essentially require you to use a certain software that would okay whether or not you could order tests. And then you would have to, the ordering physician would have to attach a number essentially to the claim for the rendering one for payment to proceed. So that was something we had concerns about uh, because CMS is also just not uh, ready to process any of those claims. And it also would require getting an upgrade to your EHR, uh, require a lot of different, you know, like workflow issues. And yeah. so that's delayed for at least one year. So that was a positive. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Naps for <Right>. CMS. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Um, another thing that I know Kim's excited about is we like to talk, we like to chit chat E&M. So evaluation and management services, a uh, couple of changes there. Some of them are about split or shared services. Some of them are about critical care services and some are about teaching physician services. I think the most, you know, the, the one that is the most that's going to have the like the largest impact would be with the critical care services. And so able yeah. to, like, you know, they, they essentially uh, modified what it means to bill during a global period. And they also said, you know, you can't use bill the E&M visit and the critical care visit during the same day, which is going to affect certain, like, you know, certain right. practices more than others. But I, I mean, my gut reaction to that was, is that like, 
to penalize a physician for essentially like not being able for a patient to change their status. Like if they had already, like they were in the facility, you checked in on them, you build me and them. And then all of a sudden they, you know, you, there's, you have to build critical care. Like to me, that doesn't make a ton of sense, but I also don't think it's something that is relevant for every specialty all the time. So you just have to look out for if that's something that you typically do. Um, yeah, very true. You know, I used to, I used to um, direct uh, a, a critical care group. So I know that that community of physicians are going to be paying very close attention to what comes out of all of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Now, one other point that I, I wanted to, to just kind of get, pick your brain about is the, the, the telehealth, the future of telehealth really. And, you know, the fact that there's a proposal to remove the, the geographic location, um, you know, all of that, the, those restrictions, what are your thoughts about whether or not that will actually happen? So in the fee schedule, they are essentially codifying like provisions in year-end legislation. So going back in our <laughs> legislative time machine to last December, uh, it was just a mad rush to get a lot of things done. And and we were very distracted with surprise billing and there were a lot of things getting thrown into this and the E&M cut, you know, like mitigating Mm -hmm. the conversion factor cuts. So we were, I mean, it was like my December was just like, I <laughs> slightly repressed it, but it, part of the legislation that got in was actually about mental health visits and mm-hmm. uh, following the public health emergency, you would be able to, for mental health services, you'd be able to use the home as an originating site and you would be able to do it regardless of geographic location. But there was a six month in-person requirement. So basically you had to have seen the patient in person six months prior to doing the telehealth visit. Now, a a lot of the, uh, you know, psych mental health community was upset by that, what they would probably say arbitrary in-person visit. Um, For instance, like my dad, who's a psychologist was like, (laughs) not thrilled about it. But, and we, you know, I actually was looking like, just like going back, trying to find like, why six months, you know, like, does this, ha- is this pulling from somewhere else in Medicare? And no one really knew, I, but they're doing it. I mean, I assume because they're trying to, you know, put any sort of guardrails, like safeguards in for uh, like potential fraud, potential, you know, like overspending. Um, that being said, there is legislation that's been introduced to get rid of that six month. Uh, oh, that's awesome. So we'll see. Um, I talked to the sponsors uh, a few months ago and they seemed pretty optimistic. Um, I think the only concern is like they just passed that legislation. And so there might be some critics that are like, well, why, <laughs> why are we redoing what we just did? Uh, that being said, um, the physician fee schedule is essentially codifying what was in the law. So they're proposing it, but they kind of have to because it was, you know, like essentially in layman's terms, like a directive from, from Congress. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that it can, it's great. I think that mental health, like personally, like I think that mental health needs to be invested in more. It has, it, I think telehealth and virtual services lend themselves very well to this sort of environment. Like 
I've done appointments via the phone before the pandemic. And it's been like, great to be in my car. That being said, I think there's some interesting issues with like how we, you know, like defining the home and like, you know, in a situation, right. Where like, I mean, this is Medicare, uh, Medicare beneficiaries, but like, for instance, I like, I feel like I do half of my business, like on the way to work or like in the car. And we were kind of joking around with this, like I have my telehealth uh, work group at MGMA and we were kind of joking around about like, I'm like, well, my car, even though it might feel like I'm home, <laughs> not my home. So, you know, it's, I think that'll be, that'll be interesting as opposed to just like completely you know, like waving, uh, originating sites in general, or like if you're doing work at, um, like an assisted living facility, whether they're not like an actual permanent patient, but they're there for a period of time. So I think that that is very niche to certain, you know, specialties and subspecialties, but I think it'll bring up some interesting, some interesting questions. Um, so I, I think that it's good that they're doing this. I think that, you know, it was interesting that they took a step they took even a step further and started to go um, expand or proposing to expand audio only visits for these, for these services, Uh, like for, you know, diagnosing and treating mental health services. Uh, You know, I, I would like to see it expanded to more than just mental health services. Like I would like to see it expanded to the audio, like, E&M visits that we saw covered, uh, like nine, nine, four, four, one through four, three. Yep. I feel like those numbers are like imprinted <laughs> in my brain forever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that it would be great to get those reimbursed. I mean, the problem too, is that, you know, in order to make them sustainable, we also have to make sure there's some I mean, we have to like the question of payment parity is going to come up, which is essentially a CMS issue. And so just because you get these things extended and expanded doesn't necessarily mean that they're sustainable, right, to continue to do. Um, That also being said, I feel pretty strongly, and it's probably because I represent physician practices, (laughs) that we have to make efforts to keep patients within the practice and within their like physician patient relationship. And so whenever I talk, yeah, like whenever I talk to Congress about this, because everyone's like pushing for telehealth, it's like a very multi-stakeholder, you know, situation. You got like all the vendors and, you know, and the providers and the insurers, but I mean, I, what I don't want to happen is like to see like telehealth or like teledoc get, you know, Medicare credential enrolled and then to have patients who have a ton of comorbid issues, like yeah. plenty of medication and they're like calling up, you know, they're calling up, uh, whatever, you know, teledoc or whatever, yeah. I don't single them out, but like a vendor yep. and, uh, you know, it's, and, and then that they get essentially disrupts care and it's taken out of the practice. And then, right. you know, they go back to their doctor and their doctor doesn't know that they're on, you know, X, Y, and Z for like some sort of, you know, condition that they were prescribed something over the phone. And so we yeah. have to find ways to deal with that. And I'm not sure necessarily what that looks like yet. Like it's, um, it's percolating. I'm trying to find, you know, whether it's an established patient situation, like I'm not sure, but it is something that I keep underscoring as I we think, you know, I think the, our provider community can really, um, really drive that patient 
relationship in a number of ways, not just an in-office visit, like staying in touch with them virtually um, through mm-hmm. a patient portal, keeping, you know, health campaigns going, um, you know, through their patient website, reminding patients to come in, you know, to get flu shots or, you know, whatever, um, you know, kind of preventative services that they might need. Um, but the other thing I think that physicians can do to kind of drive that, that process is documentation, showing the complexity of that patient's care, um, especially when it comes to payment parity, because I'm sure that, well, I know that the you know, payers are looking at telehealth services to determine whether or not they are as complex as in an office visit and whether or not the same medical decision-making is taking place in a telehealth visit versus an in-office visit. And I would say for the most part, it's the same. It should be the same because they're both being reimbursed the same. Um, So it's really just about making sure that our providers are are doing that documentation and showing that level of complexity, but then having that, you know, kind of post um, telehealth visit communication with the patient, whether it's the medical assistant checking on meds or referrals and you know, just kind of keeping that communication going. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, all indications throughout this pandemic have been to me, like, as I talk to physician practices, so that, you know, it's not any easier or like cheaper essentially to deliver these services. I mean, you have the IT infrastructure, you have to troubleshoot, you have to like, I mean, I'm, this is clearly not the same thing, but I remember like moving, like, getting a house and moving last year, I couldn't even get like up, you know, like upgraded internet for like three <laughs> weeks. Cause everybody was doing it at the same time. Cause everyone needed right. to like, like distant learn and distant work. And I'm just like the, it's just, it's not necessarily in, you know, more convenient. I mean, it's also interesting to like, like for scheduling reasons, you know, like there's some issues with like workflow and scheduling via telehealth. You have to figure out like post pandemic, if you know, you're well, even before, cause people have gone back to seeing physicians in person, but you have to figure out if there's going to be like one person who's going to kind of do telehealth. They're going to rotate in whether or not they're just all going to offer it, you know, for family practice, for instance, people really like their own family practice doctor, you know, like, I feel like you know, so you can't just have like one person necessarily at the practice be doing all telehealth for all patients because right. maybe that patient wants to see their doctor they've been seeing exactly. for 10 years. So, you know, I, I think it's really, I think it's interesting. I think we'll see, you know, what ends up happening. Ultimately, Congress sort of holds the cards for this. My, my, what I think is going to happen is that they will, there's, there's a lot of momentum like pushing this forward to expand these flexibilities in perpetuity. I think there's also a lot of concern with fraud and cost of the program and quality outcomes. Uh, just listening to the last few hearings on this, like last, like a few months ago in March, uh, th- that, that was a huge concern, like an energy and commerce committee hearing. Mm-hmm. I think that they will end up making a lot of these flexibilities, like the geographic originating site, like 
perhaps a qualifying practitioner, uh, since you know PTs and I think OTs and SLPs were not included. I think they will make that permanent for one or two years because it's in line with what MedPAC said. MedPAC mm-hmm. didn't give an official recommendation, uh, but they did put in their last report uh, a lot of information about what they thought would make the most sense. And they said for a period of time while they collect information. And I think that's what's going to that's what's probably going to happen towards the end of the year or whenever we find, we think that apparently we're going to get a 60 day heads up if, if the administration's not going to renew the public health emergency. So it might be one of those situations where like we get the 60 day heads up and Congress finally moves and hopefully it's not during like, I don't know, the holidays. <laughs> I mean, um, but, we're getting yeah. close to that time. <laughs> it, but that's kind of what happens usually, right? Like I think yeah. it'll kind of be like almost like an appropriate, you know, like a like renewing programs. Like, like I think that'll be kind of the situation until they have enough information. So yeah. I think information matters. Like you I think we should expand it, but I, and I think a lot of it should be up to the physician's discretion on whether it makes sense to see this patient or not, uh, via virtual care and it's their preference too. Um, but I think that, you know, to make the point that it's a, um, you know, that it's something that should be sustainable and should stay, it's good either way to have that information. Uh, So true. Now, as we're wrapping up, we, we can't leave without just kind of seeing what's happening in Congress. Okay. <laughs> what's happening in Congress? What's happening? Um, well, anything interesting that we need to be aware um, of? <laughs> so, I mean, right now the attention has been primarily focused on infrastructure. I'm sure like everyone has seen the news. So it's like infrastructure and, uh, you know, budget, budgeting, budget resolutions. And so I think, you know, it's interesting, um, with the, with the infrastructure package, it was mostly like physical infrastructure as opposed to like, we had like, you know, made like, we had asked for other things to be included, uh, that were more healthcare, like, personnel, sort of, you know, like the, the cuts, <laughs> uh, but if they did, you know, like one of the pay fors uh, is to essentially expand the 2% sequester. So we were like, you know, there is not a lot of, uh, it was not a great thing to learn uh, <laughs> as a pay for. Yeah. And, you know, the, I think what's going to be interesting with um, like the budget resolution is I, you know, a couple of items in there are like, you know, including uh, more like expanding Medicare, like vision, dental. So I think it'll be, we'll see what happens. Um, I mean, hopefully they enjoy their vacation in August (laughs) and they're going to come back ready to to go. I I don't know if I'd want to be a Senate staffer like the other (laughs) week because they, they definitely had some really long between the Votorama, Votorama and, and everything. They had a, they had a very long weekend week. So, uh, yeah, but I think, you know, if you guys, if I come back in the fall, I think we'll have a lot to talk about because I think they're going to hit the ground running. I know we will with a lot of our priorities. Well, Claire, thanks for joining today. This has been so much fun. I, we always love having you with us. Um, thanks. Look forward to seeing what's, you know, what's coming down the road in the fall. Um, We'll definitely bring you back. Thank you so much. And everyone, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you on the next episode of RevDive. Thank you.